Good afternoon and welcome to Future State. Industry leaders discuss today's priorities and tomorrow's challenges. A health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Formstack. Just a little housekeeping before we get get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box. We'll take them later in the program, and we're going to do a little audience poll later on to get you involved. Nice way to view the screen. Click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides the size you want them, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Joel Venko, SVP and Chief Information and Digital Officer with Bay State Health, Jackie Monson, VP, Chief Technology Risk Officer, CISO, and Chief Privacy Officer with Sutter Health, and Chris Byers, CEO with Formstack. So let's get right into it. A lot of ground to cover, uh, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, Joel, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. Uh, so uh, as you just mentioned, I'm the SVP Chief Information Digital Officer. The digital title came actually as a result of what we'd seen in the pandemic. Um, in other words, you know, digital has become finally a thing, and um, and and I think a lot of us are seeing a lot of uh, movement, particularly um, in you know health systems that have been mostly traditional, um, if you will, really focusing on digital and data, and and you know somebody's got to own it. So we can talk certainly more about that. But um, Bay State Health is a large health system in uh, Massachusetts. It's the largest in Western Massachusetts. Uh, we have roughly five, uh, yeah, five and growing uh, hospitals, um, and uh, we have about 100 medical groups uh, peppered across uh, Massachusetts. Uh, we also have a, uh, a medical school that uh, is affiliated with UMass Medical School, focused on uh, population health and primary care. We also have a commercial health plan that we own, um, and, uh, and then we run two ACOs. Uh, and, and so uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on at Bay State Health. Uh, it's certainly still focused on uh, the COVID, um, you know, uh, phasing or rather the, the COVID pandemic uh, and phasing out of that. And, um, and then we're hoping to get back to uh, our core mission, which is population health and community health. So thanks for having me. Very good. Thank you, Joel. Jackie? Good morning, or I guess it's good afternoon on the East Coast. Um, I'm accountable for, as he mentioned, the technology risk function, information security, and privacy, which probably the only time that it's ever highlighted having too many roles is during the pandemic uh, when there was a lot going on. Um, I work for Sutter Health. It's a large integrated healthcare system. We have 60,000 employees. Uh, we see about 3 million patients a year, 24 hospitals, lots of ambulatory surgery science clinics, and about 12,000 physicians affiliated with. Um, so been a very busy time, as you can imagine, being in California where the pandemic was heightened and um, lots of job titles with lots going on, uh, both related to cyber and um, related to data. Wow. And I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot going on. We're looking forward to, to picking your brain, as it were. Uh, Chris? Yeah, I'm Chris Byers. Uh, I am the CEO of Formstack, and we are an organization based um, in two, two 
key headquarters, Indianapolis and Colorado Springs, but then we have actually had a remote team well before uh, the, the kind of uh, full pandemic hit. So it's a pretty normal way of life for us, but we help people really automate workflow. And so do that, especially for the non-technical user. And so we think about the problems that you have in your kind of day-to-day communications with customers or patients or whomever. So for instance, in healthcare, we're helping automate patient experience, let, let people fill that paperwork out before they show up and make sure it's getting kind of communicated to the right people into the right systems so that all of a sudden that patient experience is, uh, is improving. So thanks for, uh, yeah, the opportunity to, to sponsor today and it's great to be here. All right. Very good, Chris. Thank you. All right. Well, let's jump right into our, one of our main first questions, Jackie, let's start with you. What do you see as the main trends healthcare IT leaders need to be positioning their organizations to handle? And what is your advice for doing so? I think today, you know, we got a very interesting panel, uh, different uh, focuses. So just for you personally, um, how do you want to take this question? Yeah, so I think the organization as a whole, uh, given the pandemic that I think Joel mentioned, you know, things have changed significantly. We're in a virtual care environment. So digital transformation is probably the number one priority of the organization. From a security standpoint, it just means that I need to run with um, the technology and, um, you know, whatever we're going to do in that regard. We had to rapidly deploy a telemed platform that's probably not ideal for our clinicians. So are we looking at that? And um, we're just looking at how we provide care now to meet people where they are, um, which is very different than I think the transformation was before the pandemic. And then specific to my areas, uh, cybersecurity is front and center. Um, Obviously, with remote work and all of the sort of interconnectivity now that we have to everybody being everywhere, um, it introduces a lot of additional risk. And then we've seen... Uh, the cyber hackers focus on healthcare. Uh, they want the COVID data now around vaccines. They want uh, anything that's valuable with respect to research around these areas. Mm-hmm. And they also know that healthcare is vulnerable. And so we've seen, you know, a, a huge increase over double or triple what um, we were seeing as threats to our organization uh, since the pandemic. And it really hasn't lightened up as people might expect it to. So that's really been the focus and everything around cyber. So not just how do we better protect our perimeter to the best that we can and um, internally, how do we protect through network segmentation, but also, uh, you know, what do we do with our third parties who, uh, you know, for a long time, it's not really a new problem in the sense that they've always have vulnerabilities that impact the healthcare system, but it's just becoming a very huge highlight uh, past the pandemic is, again, that's where their focus entry point is to the organizations. And so what can we do to help them better protect um, you know, themselves and the domino effect of having uh, connectivity to them to provide healthcare to our patients? Yep. Yep, lots of stuff there, and we'll get into more detail. Chris? Yeah, to, to me, I think with that digital transformation is really thinking about engaging that customer experience and patient experience. And the thing I think about is that self-service moment, because the moment I can actually give the patient more ability to self-serve, all of a sudden, I've actually caused, I've saved myself a ton of time on the back end, too, because I don't now have to take paperwork that they've filled out and not be able to 
translate it quickly or, or you know, uh, re-enter it into a system, that, that process happens it, it kind of seamlessly. But to me, that self-service moment also comes with post-care uh, work too, where you're trying to check in with patients and letting them do some of that work for you. They want to do that work for you because they love sitting at home, being able to do it without having to pick up the phone and not have to do uh, engage quite as heavily. We've all gotten used to very digital experiences. Uh, I was kind of, my mind was blown yet again this weekend when I was uh, noticed how restaurant, a lot of restaurants have actually been super successful with now taking a lot more delivery um, kind of orders. And I think about that experience in the patient world too. It's all about just making it dead simple for uh, patients to kind of jump in, do the work for, for you and for themselves and, and speed up uh, kind of that moment of, of care. Very good, Joel. Thank you. So, you know, um, there's, and I, I totally agree with my, with my colleagues on the panel. I, I think the, the one thing that I would point out First and foremost, is the pandemic has really given everyone, including physicians uh, and and their colleague clinicians, really a taste of what data and digital can do for healthcare. And, and so, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, it, I think there was a lot of pushback, at least you know, from my organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's natural. You know, the traditional ways that we've done and delivered healthcare have largely uh, worked, um, but. You know, there's there's been uh, quite a movement towards data and digital, particularly from outside of our industry, and and having been forced to really, uh, you know, do virtual care, utilize data so that you can be aware of what's going on in the environment, so that you can, you know, um, either uh, readjust the way that you're, um, you know, bringing patients in or 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 uh, delivering, uh, you know, care in a different way. I think really proved to them that this can work. You know, um, having access to, to digital tools and leveraging data can actually make me a better uh, care deliverer. And so, I think that has created this 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 um, real dependency uh, in a good way to uh, healthcare technologists. And, and I think this is an opportunity for all of us to really, you know, um, uh, sort of muster up the courage to really push. The, I think the initiatives that we have been preparing for, uh, you know, even up until the pandemic occurred. Um, and, and I think those factors help. Uh, certainly this notion of consumerism, uh, which is now, um, I think, has, has really uh, propelled, been propelled by the pandemic even further, I think, as Chris had mentioned, uh, is critical uh, to, to, to the sort of the progress of digital and that we have to, again, take, take the, 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 the uh, you know, the reins on this one as IT professionals and really push that. And that is to say that, you know, we need to leverage, you know, our digital capabilities to make uh, care more convenient so that consumers can get it anywhere and everywhere they would wish to get it, right? And I think that's a lot of, of, of what the trend is, is really moving towards. Uh, and I would say that, uh, Health systems are are still behind the eight ball, uh, even more than ever now, because you've got all of these other non-traditional players who've come into the market prior to the pandemic and have just received even more funding, more um, you know velocity uh, to really sort of delivering what they have been really attempting to um, uh, deliver and, and have designed for in this digital world. Uh, to really sort of eat our lunch, and so I think there's a lot of that sort of moving forward. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, with regards to what's happening in the world, we as IT leaders have to also understand how that um, 
is infusing and and influencing the way that um, the way that we design systems. And what I mean by that is that, you know, obviously the pandemic has has uh, forced us to think about consumers even further. Um, but also, what's going on in, in equity and inclusion, and 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 um, you know the uh, all of the race relations. I think that also uh, creates. Um, uh, and actually, it puts us in a position where we should be thinking about redesigning how we deliver care uh, with that lens on. And, and we certainly can talk more about that during the course of, of this um, of this discussion. But I think that also is important because that that sort of gives us a different um, you know vantage point of how do we care for populations appropriately? How do we address things like the digital divide and social determinants? Because we saw the, in, the inequity of folks getting access or attempting to get access to the healthcare delivery system um, and, and, and have failed to do so because they didn't have either bandwidth or they didn't have the technology or they didn't have consistent and constant um, capabilities to access us. So there's a lot of things that are, I think, um, you know, uh, ahead of us still, but uh, there's a lot of, of, of momentum really looking to, um, to address those components, consumerism, digital divide uh, and, and the like. So I'll leave that. All right. Very good, Joel. I'm actually going to stick with you, start off with you on this. You want to talk about the top two or three projects you're working on? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that is obviously important to all of us as we, um, you know, quote unquote, reopen uh, is is how do we deal with our workforce? Um, and, 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 and I think everybody in every industry is talking about that. Um, but that's certainly one, um, you know, major uh, project or program that we're focusing on as we continue to uh, to elevate our um, our workforce and the individuals in our workforce, the question is: is how do we create a hybrid environment for um, for our staff and our and our workforce, both clinical and non clinical? Um, because you know, I think we've gotten a taste of, of of working from home, and so I think that's one you know major um, uh, issue that we've got in our hands. But uh, we're focusing on you know redesigning office space. Uh, we're focusing on um, enabling uh, staff to have access to different types of technologies, whether it's provisioned or not. Uh, and I know, Jackie, you're probably uh, going to, you know, uh, talk a little bit about how, how do you, you, you help work for the workforce, um, you know, continue to still be safe and function in a safe manner, even if we provide them with uh, technologies, uh, you know, at their fingertips at home or wherever they are going to be. Uh, and additionally, uh, we're, we're trying to figure out how to uh, expand our, our reach across the, the, the country in terms of um, staff uh, who, you know, even as a sort of, let's call it a, a smaller health system compared to Sutter, but in Massachusetts, and we need skills, um, you know, folks that are skilled in, in other parts of, uh, of the country, maybe even other parts of the world. So I, that's one part of, uh, you know, our, our large initiative is making sure we have workforce of the future um, and, and a hybrid workforce um, design. The other is um, back to the data and digital platform. You know, we're a Cerner shop. And um, you know we have basically solidified a large partnership with with Cerner to really focus on um, establishing that 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 foundation, that data and digital foundation, which will be really the um, 
uh, you know, this stage on top of which we will uh, drive our next five-year strategy, uh, our growth strategy, but also, um, you know, our focus on consumerism uh, and, and really the, the sort of the digital era for our consumers in the, in the, in the future. So, um, so those are two major uh, initiatives that we're really focusing on, which I'm sure are similar to, to many of my colleagues across the, you know, the country. Very good, Joel. Thank you. Uh, Jackie? Yeah, it's hard to choose sort of the top uh, two to three because it seems like there's about 20 of them that are just as high of a priority. But a couple that I'll mention, um, as Joel mentioned, the remote workforce, you know, we had a lot of what I would call our security controls locked down, um, you know, from a remote workforce standpoint purposefully. And obviously with the pandemic overnight, uh, we had to make modifications to that. And so now we're re really working through how do we make them as efficient as they can be at home to be able to work while not compromising security. And I think that requires us to completely transform how we uh, look at the entry point for security. And so we're looking at that and, you know, what new technology stacks do we potentially need to be able to, uh, you know, contemplate the fact that uh, everybody has an Amazon Echo, Google Home, and all of these things connected now to the same network that we're connecting to. And so how do we best protect the organization while allowing our workforce to optimize the way that they do work from home? Um, because at least from our vantage point, we're going to be doing a hybrid model where it's, you know, partially remote work, um, partially in what they're calling neighborhoods or hubs where they can go work. And so this isn't going away. Uh, the other area is just really the patient experience um, and sort of meeting patients where they are. As I think Chris mentioned, you know, how do you make it more efficient? How do you enable it? And so we're doing a lot of transforming uh, in both our what we call our patient portal, as well as just the overall patient experience. Um, we did a lot with, um, you know, having them check in and actually sit in their car. And we realized patients actually like that versus sitting in the waiting room um, being uh, access to lots of germs. And so there's just lots of ways from the patient experience standpoint that we're really looking at. How do we transform that from a technology standpoint to accommodate that patient experience? And then we've also heard from our clinicians who at one point said it was merely impossible to work uh, to see patients via telemed and to be able to really um, have that experience. And they've realized they like it too, because it provides them a little bit of a work-life balance. And so how do we, you know, transform the technology? And so we're working on, you know, all that contemplates that. And then I would say the third area is really on the third-party risk management that I already mentioned. Um, you know, we have vulnerabilities in biomed devices, and we have vulnerabilities in virtually everything that's connected. And most of the pandemic, the security issues weren't related to our organization. They were related to our third parties being impacted and their VPN connectivity to us uh, disconnected and therefore creating a patient safety issue. So we're really working through, you know, how do you mitigate that risk and how do you work with those vendors um, to have better solutions in place so that they're not as impacted by a ransomware attack and that they're prepared to respond. And then we're also looking at what does our plan B need to be? Because um, for the second time we've seen a transcription vendor attack in 2017, we saw a non impact nuance. And um, over the last uh, six months, we also had our main transcription vendor who we switched to impacted and shut down. And within 24 hours, you know, we have 
five or six million transcriptions waiting to be transcribed sitting in a queue. And so how do we better position ourselves to have a plan B? And then what does that plan B look like? Does it look like engaging a whole nother transcription vendor for the what if, or is there some kind of contingency? And transcription is just a, an example. We're really looking at our critical, what I call tier zero and tier one apps to really being able to provide the patient care and their experience and help our clinicians in that area. And what do we need to do differently to be able to accommodate that? Um, you know, not only do they need to have better security controls, but we also need to have a plan B because even if they have great security controls, they can still be impacted by a cyber issue. Wow. Very good. Excellent. Chris? Yeah, I think what I would uh, talk a little bit about is, is what we try to do, and I think it applies really well, especially to some of, the, of what Jackie talked about, is we try to kind of pair up uh, extremely secure ways to transport and house data with the ability for a non-technical user to build solutions to their own kind of challenge of, of moving data. And so I think about this time where you really need a lot of kind of MVP or real quick processes built because you're not totally sure exactly what's going to work for the long term. You need something that can kind of get you through the next, say, two, three months. And then you'll see maybe it works perfectly, but you may also then want to build on top of that or morph it a little bit because you get feedback that it doesn't work. And I think that's something we're not always used to. We usually put things in motion because we know what the world looks like and we can go take on a three, six, nine month project and roughly trust that it's going to play out well. Uh, well, these days you want to make sure, of course, that data is very secure. And uh, I mean, it's always going to be top of mind, but you want to almost give into the hands of more people, departments, maybe the ability to uh, quickly build processes and, and, and fix things. So I think about we had a customer family centers who has 21,000 customers. They needed overnight, of course, to go to digital patient registration. I've had a lot of stories about people wanting to check in in their car. And it's all about, uh, you know, again, getting that into people's hands to do it in the most comfortable place possible. And all of a sudden your data accuracy goes way up too. Because as you know, I've sure done it. I get real lazy when I am scribbling on a paper as fast as possible because I don't want to be sitting in the office, um, you know, giving my data over. And I probably fail to actually communicate to the provider a few things that they might need to know. <laughs> and so I think that it, helping people uh, get in places where they can actually even provide better data turns out to be a really uh, big win too. So for us, we're just thinking about how do we enable more and more of those people on the ground who know exactly how things are working to fix things because they're, they're the ones who see things best. Now, of course, that needs to roll all the way back to security who can say, yep, this is, this is being done in the right way or here's the framework you should use to build. But ultimately, uh, you're going to get a lot better, better, faster processes built in that way. Hey, Chris, um... What do you see, anything come to mind if you think of the, some of the main things that your healthcare customers have been doing with your tools? Like what, are, what, are, what are some of the top things that they're actually doing with them? Yeah, so of course, patient registration is a very obvious one. But then along with that, are, you can actually create minor telemedicine experiences uh, with, with data collection and form. So let people effectively self-serve and answer a series of questions based on those answers. Make sure you're guiding them maybe to the right um, kind of end person who's going to 
help help them uh, with their patient experience or uh, help them do some self-diagnosis. I mean, think about those COVID forms that we all filled out last year where we filled out about seven things and then it either told you go into the hospital or, or do nothing. Uh, that type of kind of logic experience actually can save everybody a lot of time. And so we're seeing a lot of that. And of course, that's not the full telemedicine experience, but it, it does take a load off of um, you know, the hospital, the hospital system, which of course these days is, is very important to do um, because every one of every hospital system is kind of overloaded. And so th those are at least a handful of things. Of course, billing experiences, making sure it's easy to pay your bill online. Um, those are those are pretty straightforward examples. And then I'd say those processes that don't actually get built into the core systems like Cerner, um, we have all these things that we do in our hospital that look just a little bit different than everybody else. And we can either build a custom, uh, you know, really expensive solution, or if we can find tools that are secure and can provide a little bit of light workflow, all of a sudden we, we've kind of been able to automate that. So take, uh, you know, patient referrals from one hospital or one doctor to the next. That's often an old fashioned fax style, <laughs> uh, you know, how it gets done. But really it's just because nobody has good interconnecting systems between two completely separate entities. And so helping prop systems up like that in a really quick way has been effective too. I, if Very I could good. add to Go that, ahead. Go ahead, Joel. you know, I, I think, um, you know, and I'm, you know, I, I, we don't use Formstack, but I'm familiar with your, your capabilities just a little bit, Chris, uh, you know, having just researched um, what you guys do. I, I think there's merit in, in just sort of stating how I think during the pandemic, it really forced a lot of organizations um, to either, you know, um, figure out how to reface certain areas, uh, certain tools that they have uh, in-house like for us when you know we had to bring up a um, you know the the vaccine a vaccine application none of our you know core applications had you know the vaccine application capability um, but very quickly you had lots of folks saying hey I have a I have a potential tool I have a potential tool we ended up actually building our own on top of apis that we had uh, from our core systems uh, and the point is is that I think there are going to be those moments now, given the fact that we were able to do that um, and APIs are continuing to expand and grow uh, that, you know, no code, low code types of capabilities like Formstack are going to be really interesting partners uh, for health uh, systems who, you know, need a, a short solution or a, a short term solution very quickly um, that can get them up and running that may become, you know, maybe a longer term solution vis-a-vis -vis an internal application. But I think, you know, that kind of DevOps capability with low code, no code, um, you know, um, functionality is really an interesting trend, but also an interesting capability for, for IT organizations and health systems going forward. It just creates that nimble, I think, agile capability that we've been all looking for and seeking. Well, and the one thing I think I'd add there is I think we're all watching the world kind of open back up, but we're not really sure what's going to happen and what that means and probably won't know what that means for, I don't know, six months, a year, how, however long. And so I think being nimble is really important right now. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Um, Jackie, let's start with you on this question. Other than the trends discussed, please make one bold prediction about the future and offer advice on how healthcare IT leaders can prepare for it. I think in a couple of years from now, it's going to look very different than we anticipated. If we looked at our five-year strategy before the pandemic, um, you know, I think it was 
it very simplified and maybe artificial intelligence was a focus and that was probably much of it. And I think uh, two years from now, three years from now, it's going to look completely different. I think the way that patients experience healthcare is going to be different because of what we've rapidly learned um, during the COVID pandemic about how um, people want to receive healthcare. And I actually think uh, it can be more affordable if we go down the digital transformation and do what I think, uh, you know, everybody knows we're capable of doing now. And I think healthcare has to be convinced. And I think people were convinced and leadership is convinced and bought into it. So I think the whole design and the technology platforms that are, are used are going to look completely different in, in two years or three years. And my advice to leaders would be um, you have to be nimble and open to it. And I personally think now is the time to run 110 miles an hour and do everything you've probably thought we should do from an innovation standpoint that um, you know wasn't an interest of the clinicians and other key stakeholders because either there wasn't any money or they just weren't convinced that it was going to work and actually do it and prove that it will work. And that's really what I'm excited about. And then I'm of course excited about the security piece of it because a lot of these things we never um, have existed forever, right? All these homegrown tools, all of this technology is old and it didn't contemplate security. So the opportunity to redesign it in a secure way at the same time that we're transforming is um, pretty exciting to me. Excellent, very good, Chris? Well, one unsustainable thing that seems like we're experiencing is that uh, the patient has actually created had kind of a new and interesting experience this past kind of six months a year where um, they're actually getting a lot more attention because they're the only person walking in the door at that given slot, which is making probably a lot of the experience very inefficient um, for the actually on the hospital side and on the on the caregiver side because they can see less uh, throughput. And so to me, that's actually going to break at some point and we're going to need to see uh, almost concierge style medicine on one side. So if you want good, heavy attention, that's kind of where you're going to go on the flip side is a very automated experience where, uh, you know, 90% of what I used to do in office or in, in, in the building no longer happens and it's all happening at home. And uh, even I have a few handful of devices that help me uh, kind of indicate to the doctor or whomever my vital signs and things like that. But those, those two broad, uh, kind of landing spots seem like where we're going in that middle will be pretty, the old experience of, of probably being in the middle won't be uh, nearly as prominent or, or prevalent. Yep. Yep. Very good point. Uh, Joel. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm going to piggyback on my, my two colleagues here. I, I, I think that there's um, truly going to be a more of a personalization to, to the way that we deliver care for sure. Um, personalization in the, in, um, you know, uh, through through the data that we have of, of our consumer or our patient, um, you know, certainly personalization uh, as it relates to, um, you know, uh, using that data and predicting or, or knowing what the next best action is for, for the consumer. Um, personalization in, in, in a way where, you know, we can provide them with, um, you know, for their given um, uh, you know, either level of acuity or not uh, in terms of their health, what's the, what's the thing that they need to do right now, whether it's continue to maintain their health or, or um, you know, address their chronic condition, which by the way, I think is, is really where um, what's most important right now is to understand how to guide and orchestrate someone's care. Because as we look at what's just happened with the pandemic and all of these digital capabilities that are now, um, you know, come into bear, you know, we've added more noise 
in many ways to to the healthcare process. So there's the traditional stuff that that we've we've got that already confuses folks because it's complex, and then you're adding a layer of technology capabilities and data and and more information for folks, um, you know, to to try to continue to manage their care even further and in a virtual way, and and so you know there's going to be that much more confusion. And so I think having um, an ability to, to help orchestrate and personalize the care for them is, is, a, is a big part of it. And, and that may actually also, um, you know, uh, expand to, to the physicality or the physical um, buildings that um, health systems, you know, are now trying to figure out how to, how to re, redesign, you know, is there going to be a waiting room? Is there not going to be a waiting room? And so I think we're going to see a wholesale set of transformations um, in the way that we, we process care at a personalized level as well as how, how we actually manifest it in, in the buildings. Excellent, very good. All right, next question, Chris, let's start with you. What are the keys to being a successful healthcare IT leader in today's environment? You're all gonna answer this differently based on your jobs. Um, Chris, uh, what are your thoughts? You know, to me, it's continuing to become more of a uh, kind of a solution consultant than a solution provider. So, of course, those key systems are always going to be maintained by IT and, and need to be owned by them. But uh, IT, as they can turn into the consultant and find actually the right outsourced, I think, cloud providers often, but but uh, right solutions to actually give into the department, give into an individual, all of a sudden takes a huge load off of them and allows people to kind of get their projects through the queue much faster. And so I think where um, where the IT team become can become the expert in just how to solve problems and how to what are what are the right frameworks for solving problems? How do we actually teach people uh, good smart ways to solve problems and design them? I think that's uh, that's going to be a really big win in the future. Very good, Joel. Yeah. Uh, so as uh, with my CIO hat on, um, you know, I'd say that our roles have definitely um, transformed over the last you know twelve to sixteen months. Obviously, you still need to focus on operations because we, somebody's got to keep the lights on. Um, but you know, you also have to understand and be a part of growing the business through the use of data and digital capabilities, which hopefully you, as the CIO, have some you know ownership over, or at the very least, a large hand in. Um, but in addition to that, you also have to have access to innovation and design. I think uh, sort of similar to what Chris had mentioned, because if you don't have all of those components, at the very least, um, as a part of of your your daily work. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a challenge for for your your health system to transform because part of that a lot a large part of that transformation is going to rely on the capabilities uh, of data, digital, as well as uh, innovation and design. And so, um, I, I think you need to have those as part of your um, your sort of overall um, uh, you know quiver, if you will, and uh, and that will enable you to to really help push um, the organization. Uh, from a business perspective, which is really your responsibility as well. All right, Jackie. I think most important is somebody who's in my type of role is resiliency. Um, you know, I, I don't think I slept last year at all, um, just given all that was going on and all the transformation. So I think being resilient and then, um, you know, I'm a big fan of being proactive and partnering with operations and IS all at the same time. 
and um, never say no unless you have to, you know, so that's sort of my last card always. And instead is to be involved in the innovation and figure out a way to get it done uh, in a secure manner. Uh, and so I think that's really important in this environment um, because I think it, it, at this point, if, you know, an individual is, you know, negative or is going to say no, they're just going to get run over by what needs to happen to transform healthcare. And so I think that's a really important component. And I, I think it's just going to continue to evolve and change over the next couple of years using what we've learned from the pandemic as we continue to recover from it. And so really just understanding that. And I see this as a great opportunity for um IT and operations to partner probably more than ever. A lot of times in a lot of organizations, you see sort of that separation and operations believes they're involved in patient care. And, you know, IT just keeps the lights on for the systems. And I saw, you know, with virtual care and all the things that needed to happen so quickly, that partnership get even stronger than it was before and become more of a, you know, kind of, we need both. We don't need one or the other. All right. Very good. All right, we're going to have a little fun now. This is a poll question I came up with this morning, and uh, I will describe it a little bit. This is an agree or disagree question. So I've been thinking a lot about security. You know, we see a lot of things going on. It just seems like it's getting worse and worse out there, and systems are getting shut down. The bad guys are getting better and better at what they do. So here's the thinking. As ransomware continues to proliferate, security spending will rise accordingly. This keeping the lights on spending will necessarily crowd out digital transformation dollars. The point is, if if you get breached, if you have a ransomware attack, doesn't matter all the fancy stuff you've got going, it, it's, it's done, you're finished. So you have to create that shell in which to operate, right? I mean, Jackie, this is your job. It's, it's so huge. Um, and I think that, you're just going to have to spend. You're going to have to spend, spend, spend. So the concept, the idea of the question is, well, you know, is this going to diminish what's left, what's left over? Because it becomes stakes to play, right? So I'll be interested in hearing uh, both your thoughts on that. But if everyone wants to uh, answer that, our panelists can answer it as well. Agree or disagree. Um, let's go, Jackie. I want to hear your thoughts. Does this, does this sound about right or am I crazy? Which I've been told before, so it's okay. <laughs> well, I think there's never going to be enough money to protect organizations from what, you know, what is going to happen or what continues to happen with the risk of ransomware. So I think strategically spending it on the right things allows for money to be spent on digital transformation too. As I mentioned, um, you know, as we move towards new technology, we can also design it from a security standpoint that we couldn't do before. So thinking about those things, but honestly, you know, at the end of the day, you have to balance and patient safety is always going to come before digital transformation. That's just the way that um, things are looked at from a healthcare system. And so I do think if we had to decide between security dollars and transformational dollars, this it, we're going to fund security yep. um, because we know that it could be extremely detrimental to the organization if we're impacted and to our patients. Um, we saw what happened with Scripps a couple of weeks ago and, you know, they were down for almost six days diverting patients. That's, that's a significant impact. And I can't imagine what that actual final cost is going to be for them. 
Um, but I, I think that's entirely clear, at least from my standpoint and my leadership standpoint on what the impact would be. And if we need to invest in security, we're going to invest. But I think a lot of um, security professionals, uh, they go too far in the sense that, you know, we spend more than we need to. I think we have to be strategic about what we spend it on and make sure that we're protecting all of the most important things. And then realize that even if I have $100 million tomorrow to spend on it, I'm probably not going to protect it in such a way that if a bad guy wants to get in, mm-hmm. they're going to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the other important piece of that is making sure that you're set up to stand it up as soon as you can to be able to respond to a ransomware issue. And so that's kind of how I, I look at it as sort of the glass half full is you got to figure out um, what you need to protect the organization. Yeah, you got to invest in that and um, then just be really creative about how um, you sort of get there. But I just had this conversation actually a week ago with our board who said, you know, can we give you more money to move move up your program maturity and better protect us so that you never have to come to us with a ransomware issue. And that's actually one of my favorite questions ever, because the answer is no. And mm-hmm. if I told you a hundred million dollars would protect us, you should probably find a new CISO because that's just the wrong answer. It's not ever possible to spend enough money to protect. And so I think it's the balance of being able to protect as much as you can and then being able to respond and if you can do both of those things, then I think you've spent your money well. Uh, if you haven't, then you've got to spend your money better. And so I think it's always going to be a balance, but I don't disagree that, you know, if we're talking about security over digital transformation, that security is going to come first. Hey, Joel, it's really interesting. So the concept that Jackie's talking about when she said security is patient safety, does everybody get that now that security is patient safety? Yeah, I think that's that's the that's the real point, uh, and I'm so glad that she said that because I think the uh, the boards do get it now, particularly you know with the Scripps incident, but um, even over the last year, 12, 12 months, if you will, you know they've seen how it impacts care and 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 therefore quality of care and therefore uh, uh, you know safety, patient safety overall. So without a doubt, that's a that's a big a uh, big deal and one that I think should not be uh, you know. Um, uh, overlooked, and it is not overlooked at this point. Um, I'd also add to, to what Jackie is saying. I, I, she, you know, I, I think she said it all very, very well. Um, I think one thing that, um, as you think about digital transformation, you know, it's gone are the days where you just sort of say, you know, this technology, here's a new technology, it works. Let's let's put it in. Um, you know, there are uh, there are considerations of integration, which are even much that much more important these days. But, um, you know, whenever you bring in a digital transformation or a, even a new technology, the uh, the fact of the matter is, is that you must talk about how um, any vulnerabilities that it may provide or present to the organization are going to be mitigated. And so I think as a, as a health IT professional, it's not just about solving the problem that um, has been p- brought to you, but it's absolutely about ensuring that you are, um, you know, gonna gonna make sure patient safety is 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 the, the highest priority vis-a-vis the, the way that you are um, securing that the technology. So, um, absolutely it trumps the the digital transformation work if 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 you don't hit that sort of first um you know that first um base hit you have this is foundational these days Mm -hmm. so um i I totally agree with what jackie said chris when when you're being approached now and talking to healthcare customers 
Is it different than it used to be in terms of where security comes up in the conversation? I think so. I mean, I think security, of course, has always been a really big deal, but um, it is that balance of speed is, is what most people are looking for right now. I need to deploy something tomorrow or next week or next month. Um, and so, and yet at the same time, very early on, uh, the conversation needs to come up around security to say, what, what does this look like? How, how are we going to handle that? And I would say, especially when you're giving people, so I go back to that idea of frameworks, I think where you can apply and, and give frameworks to people internally about how do we handle data and how do we, uh, how do we process it securely? It actually gives you more ability to uh, let those end users actually create some solutions to the problems. You still need to check them to make sure that that's the case. But And I think that's where people are shifting is how do I get more of a uh, you know kind of trust and verify system in place? Like, let, let me trust you to, to build the right thing. And then I'll just do the verification versus I have to take 100% responsibility over building the solution from start to finish. All right. Very good. We're going to get a couple of audience questions uh, answered. Uh, first question is, I'm going to go with you, Joel. Who owns patient experience in your organization to help drive digital transformation at the front door? I think we can all agree it is not IT or IS. <clears throat> I would say that we all own it. And I, I know that's a sort of a punt um, answer, but but quite frankly, the way that we, we do focus on it is that the, the whole health system owns it. Uh, but if you were going to, uh, you know, identify one uh, individual, it is the chief consumer officer mm -hmm. who owns it um, as a strategy. Uh, but, but it all, it really does permeate across the, the enterprise. Because again, if, if we're looking at it from an INT perspective, purely, we still have to understand the patient journey. Um, we have to design it in, in a fashion that is absolutely focused on, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the humanness of, of the experience. And so I would say it's, uh, you know, across the board, we all own it, uh, but we do have uh, chief consumer officer who was um, newly uh, appointed uh, during the pandemic as a result of the pandemic in many ways. All right. Very good. We're going to go back to our poll question and now we're going to have the most fun. Uh, which is when I have our panelists guess at the results. And the answer I'm looking for, the number is percent agree. What percent agree with my bold statement? Uh, Joel? I'll say 87% agree. 87. Jackie? 65. 65. Chris? 93. 93. Well, the answer is 83. 83. So that's Joel, right? What did, yeah. I, what did I win? Anything? That's Joel. Uh, it's in the mail. It's in the mail, <laughs> and it's on the way. So it might take a while. I wouldn't follow up. But thank you. No, that was good. That was good. Very good. All right. Let's see. What are we gonna do here? Um, look, let's go with our ask a co-panelist. We're gonna we're gonna use a, another five minutes here, and we're gonna have some fun. Let's um, go with our ask a co-panelist, Chris. Question for one or both of your co-panelists. Yeah, it, either one of you can answer, but but Jackie in particular, I'm curious, have you found ways, especially with the challenges of the past year to think about, and, and maybe the, the audience would love to hear, to simplify some of the security um, processes and, and how you go about reframing, like the, the old way doesn't work anymore. How do we actually em embrace the new ways? Have you found some of those new ways? Um, I, I would say it's a work in progress. We're certainly looking at 
you know, how we do things differently, anything from how they're getting on, logging onto their computer, you know, do they always need multi-factor authentication? Is there another mechanism there to, um, you know, are they allowed to print from home, uh, which we never would have allowed before to, you know, what happens when they're on the internet and doing their personal business on work and click a phishing email. So we're kind of looking at the whole, um, both the employee experience as well as the patient experience to see if there's simplified ways. And we're going to our strategic security partners to say, uh, can we do this differently? Because it's just not working how it is. And a lot of it's actually bandwidth of dumping all these security controls on a laptop that's now remote. It doesn't have the same connectivity that we might have if they're in a corporate environment. So I would say it's still a work in progress. And frankly, it sort of took a backseat to what we needed to run with for COVID. Um, you know, we had, we quickly deployed a telemedicine platform. We quickly deployed a uh, Zoom for our employees. And so we did a lot of things in, you know, less than three months. And so now I would call it the recovery phrase of, okay, let's look at all of this and figure out how can we do this more efficiently. That's what we're working on right now. And hopefully within, you know, the next three to six months, we'll have a better experience um, for both our patients and our, and our users because it impacts patients using, uh, you know, the patient portal and stuff. But so I haven't completely solved it, but I can tell you that our strategic partners are definitely running with us on this and are very interested in, uh, you know, helping us pilot some innovative ideas that I think will will help our workforce be more efficient and not complain about security because, um, you know, that's always the fun of getting employee surveys is, you know, their concern always is, do we have to do this from a security standpoint? And so if I can find a better way to do it, um, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. Joel, anything you want to add? Uh, you know, I think the answer to that last statement that you made, Jackie, is is if somebody you know clicks on a phishing email and then and then they end up um, exposing you know some information internally as you post their face on on your internal website and say Anthony Guerra is responsible for EPHI that leaked out of the health system and they'll never do that again. <laughs> they won't complain ever again. By the way, so um, not that we did that because uh, we're not a punitive uh, organization, but um, I'm just saying if that happened to be the case for you. So I, I agree with all that Jackie had said. I think we're trying to simplify, but we're still in, in recovery phase. And, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're looking to see how to, how, how to best optimize um, the things that we put into place, you know, during pande the pandemic. And, uh, and hopefully we're optimizing it for our users, particularly our workforce. All right. I want to uh, get in another audience question. Uh, I enjoy the commentary about patients as customers. Could the panel point to any guiding principles about the pros and cons about this reference? So, Joel, do we uh, do we like thinking of patients as customers? I guess in some ways it could be helpful, but maybe not in not in every way we see the term customer. You know, it's interesting. I was just uh, you know I often ponder the, the 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 use of the word customer, consumer, um, and uh, you know, recently I was on this this uh, this panel call, and, and one of the CEOs said, "I hate the word consumer." We should call them patients, but frankly, the matter is, is that not everybody is a patient until you really become sick. Um, you are truly a consumer or a member of the health system. Um, but I, I think the, the the bottom line, whatever word you use, I think the intent is that we, as a health system, 
is we are a service provider and we always have to see ourselves that way. I think the traditional health system has uh, seen itself as not being a service provider, but rather as a, a teller of, you know, the, the patient who is not as highly educated as I, the doctor or the nurse is this is what you have to do. Well, the, the, the new model of care is one of partnership. And, um, and, and in order to be a partner, you, you can't be, just you know the the person being told to do something and so i think that's what we're grappling with as a as a health system as a healthcare industry is is that if we are truly serving the um the patient or the member you know um we need to see them as somebody that is is really receiving and consuming our services and we need to treat them that way with respect um with with uh, with partnership uh, and really, ultimately, with the with the, the benefit for them in mind, because they are the ones that are asking for our um, our, our help. Jackie, any thoughts on that? I think um, you know my organization, my CEO would probably answer the question that Joel mentioned about um, not referencing them as consumers, but referencing them as patients. The reality is they mean the same thing. I think it just depends on you know whether you're looking at healthcare delivery or you're looking at a health plan, what they might refer to them as. And at the end of the day, they are the consumers of that um, of the service. Um, but I think to see them called consumers versus patients, you'd see a probably a, a, um, a not so uh, wide consensus on the use of that, because I think the term patients just, um, you know, they're, rec- they're the receivers of care. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how, um, you know, the organization that I'm at views it. And I think generally, that's how I see it across healthcare. And so um, I just don't think consumers is, is yet widely accepted as a way to name a patient. And you might see patients offended by that term. Um, just because it, it's it, it means something a little bit different, but at the end of the day, we're all focused on the same things, which is you know um, trying to take care of patients the best that we can, and they're consumers of our service. Chris, we're almost out of time. I'm going to give you the last word if you want to touch on this point or anything else you want to touch on. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I I'd agree that the the name of that particular you know, patient consumer probably isn't as relevant as simply thinking about maybe the spirit of it, which is as we can probably all buy into, our, our mental health actually probably accelerates our recovery or maybe the reverse makes it more difficult to recover. And so where we can give people environments that just are a little bit easier, a little mm-hmm. bit better, a little bit more enjoyable, uh, I think it just promotes the, the overall kind of healing experience. So I think there, that mindset probably is a wonderful one for us all to think. And that can just be with our day-to-day who not even dealing with patients, dealing with team members around us. How do we create environments that uh, make them more productive? Because ultimately that's going to get us all more productive. Wow. Excellent. I can't believe uh, 55 minutes have gone. That was fantastic. Uh, Regarding continuing education, you can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Joel Venko, Jackie Monson, and Chris Byers. I want to thank Formstack for sponsoring, making the event possible, and I want to thank our attendees for coming. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.